when Pastor Lee asked me to come and preach, I said, Lord, there's so many other people that can do a much greater job than I. But if it would be me, what, what do you want me to say? And um, he just began to deal with me about just the nature of our own hearts. And so I would, if you'd stand with me for the reading of the Word of God, and I'm, I'm not going to do too many preliminaries or anything like that. I just want to get into the, the heart of the thing. And we're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 22. 2 Second, uh, Kings chapter number 22. And we'll just read a few verses here and kind of lay some context, some groundwork of what I believe the Lord would have me to say. 2 Kings chapter 22, verses number 1. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. Can you imagine that? The weight of a kingdom placed upon your shoulders. Your father was assassinated because of his evil uh, lifestyle. And he reigned 30 and one years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozketh. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked all the way of David, his father. And, you know, you'd stop here and you'd think that, you know, he wasn't very far removed from David, but he was actually the 13th king after David. 13 kings had, had come and he was the third, he was the, or 12 kings had come and he was the 13th. But he walked in all the way of David, his father, and he turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And we, we're going to skip down to verses number eight. And it says, and Hilkiah, so eight, I'll just kind of give you context here. 18 years have passed and Josiah is now 26 years old. And it says, uh, in verses number eight, and Hilkiah the priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. The king, Josiah, now 26-year-old man, set about the restoration of the house of God. He said, it's time for us to restore and repair uh, what is rightfully the Lord's. And so they began to repair the house of the Lord. And it's just amazing to me. As I see, you know, you, you begin to dig all these things out and you see that the law was missing. The word of God was not there. And in the, in the midst of their renovations, they find the book of the law. They find it. And he said, verses 8, I have found, Shaphan said, I have found the book of the law. Or, or Hilkiah, the priest, said to Shaphan, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. Let's go to verses number 10. And he comes to uh, Josiah the king and it says, And Shaphan read the book of the law. Before the king. Verses 11. And it came to, fa- came to pass when the king heard the words. Hear me now. When the king heard the words of the book of the law that he rent his clothes. It was the hearing of the word of God. That brought about an outward representation of what the true state of his heart was. He ripped his clothes. And the outward response to the hearing of the word was a, a true revelation of the state of his heart. And I say to, the, to you at the beginning of this, how you respond to the eternal truth is the proverbial mirror exposing ourselves to the current conditions of our heart. Just the reading of the word of God. How does your heart respond? How does it respond? Let's pray. Father, I just ask you, Lord, over this short time, God, that I have in this pulpit, I ask you, Lord, as you have dealt with me and searched my heart and revealed my own self to me. Father, I pray that you would help me this, this moment, God, to bring your word forth as you would have me to bring it forth. 
I pray, God, that Christ only would be exemplified, that we would be in awe of your word, not a preacher, not a man, not a performance, but your word. May we be fixated on your word. I ask you, Lord, that you'd just give us ears to hear what you'd say in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to talk to you for just a few moments about the hidden character of the heart. The hidden character of the heart. And three things I will, I will bring out tonight. The first thing is propaganda. Second point will be the heart of the matter. And the third point as we get to the end of this will be guard your heart. The definition, Webster's definition of heart is this. It is the central or most important part of something. The central or most important aspect of something. It really is the heart of the matter. And I, I was just digging as the Lord began to deal with my heart about what to say. And, and I, I couldn't put it in better words than this. In what sense do I refer to when I reference the heart? What am I talking about? And you know, I couldn't help but rejoice as I sat here last night. And I listened to Pastor Lee preach. And, and I went over to him afterwards and I said, you heard the same thing that I heard. Just the heart, as, as he began to deal with our hearts, coming to the Lord, it's the heart. Ultimately, it's the heart. So what sense am I talking about when, when I'm talking about the heart? And the, an Old Testament commentator said this, The scripture names the heart as the intellectual soul center of man. In its concrete central unity, its dynamic activity, and its ethical determination on all sides. Follow me here. All the radiations of the physical and the spiritual life concentrate in the heart. Right here. And again, unfold themselves from the heart. Who you are is bound up in that faculty that we call the heart. The heart is the instrument of the thinking. The willing, the perceiving life of the spirit. It is the seat of the knowledge of oneself, of the knowledge of God, of the knowledge of a relationship with God, and also of the law of God impressed upon our moral nature. The heart is the workshop of our individual, spiritual, and ethical form of life brought about by self-activity. Everything that goes on in our life is the unfolding of what's going on with inside the folds of your person. Everything. You know, the Bible says that as a man thinks, that's how he is. If you travel the world, like some of us travel, and you go to different nations, and you see the different ways that they do things, as a man thinks with inside, that's what's going to come on the outside of that man. And so the heart is the workshop of our individual spiritual and ethical form of life brought about by self-activity. The life in its higher and in its lower sense goes out from the heart and receives from it the impulse of the direction which it takes. And how earnestly must we therefore feel ourselves admonished, how sacredly bound to preserve the heart in purity so that from this spring of life may go forth not mere seeming life, and just a caricature of life, but true life, well-pleasing unto God. Look at your neighbor and tell him, you better guard your hearts. Guard your heart. What we see and what we experience in the here and now. Any of you in this building, ask yourself the question, what's going on in our generation? What kind of time do we live in? What's going on with our people? Everything that we see and experience in the here and now is just an outward manifestation of what is expressed within the hearts of our people of this generation. 
It's deep nested with inside of the heart. And so I bring my first point. It's that of propaganda. And many might think the title of my first point would be in reference to the current political uh, climate that we are in. Where a a five-letter word called truth has become an elusive idea that most of us cannot find within the world of journalism. Anybody tired of it? When you turn on, it doesn't matter what you turn on. I don't care if you open up your phone. I, I don't know what to believe anymore. I don't believe anything besides the word of God. I just come back to the word. I just go, come back to the word. Because everything in our culture, in our generation, cannot be trusted. Now, I don't know, whatever media outlet you watch, it's just, I, don't, I look at them and I say, are you lying to me? What really is the truth? And here in our culture, it's just, it's just lost. But not that that is not true. I believe the whole conundrum of our time can be bound up in one phrase. And it's this, it's a hard issue. And I'm going to, Try to prove this to you from the word of God. It's a hard issue. Our people have an issue here at heart. For what is accepted as a collective consensus is just a reflection of the values of the majority of individuals within our current populace. What's going on with inside of our nation and our culture is a reflection of what goes on with inside the the inward parts of the people of our society. Does that make sense? It's the outward manifestation of what's going on with inside of the heart of the people. Israel's demand for a king. Anybody remember where where God set up Israel and it was supposed to be a theocracy? It was supposed to be a nation that had no king because God was supposed to be their king. He was supposed to be their all. He was supposed to speak to them. But here, they, they all came. It wasn't the voice of one person that said, hey, we, let's get a king. We, I, I would much rather have a, a physical king that we can look at, somebody that we can you know, lay our eyes upon and he can fight our battles for us. So it wasn't just one person. It was the consensus of millions of people. As they said, give us a king. Give us somebody that we can lay our eyes upon. And it was ultimately the rejection of the leadership of God in their hearts. They rejected him in their hearts. Said, give us a king. What I say at the onset of this is what we see in here amongst our own. When you look at our schools and you look at our businesses and you look at what goes on on media, when you look at our own, what we see in here amongst our own, regardless of how treacherous and vulgar and unbelievable it might be, it's just a mere reflection of the heart of this nation. We've walked away from the Lord. We've fallen away from God. And it's not on a collective census. It's not just, you know, it's easy to, to generalize things. It's so easy to just say, it's just you know, all these people. But it's not just all these people. It has to start on an individual level. On a personal level. I pray that you hear what the Lord placed upon my heart tonight. We are void of conscience. Ultimately, void of conscience. Full of evil and full of our own self. We are a selfish people, a people that have nothing. You know, you, I'm, and I'm just going to be transparent. Can I be transparent with you? I'm so sick of social media. I, I honestly, I, the Lord has really been dealing with me because all of this is just a self-propagation. It's a look at me, look at what I'm doing. And I have a hard time because... You know, there's a lot of things that go on in the ministry that some people might want to know, but I'm just, I don't, I don't want anybody to know. I just, Lord, is this, is this pride in me? The ultimate source of why I 
put things all. We live in a generation so full of our own self. We're so full of pride and arrogancy. Never have we experienced a people in, in an age where self-propagation exists like it does tonight. Self-propagation. Everywhere you look, it's all about me. It's about what I'm doing and what I want and where I'm going and, and, and where my life is headed. And humility is so far away from the Christian population, not just the world. It's so far away from us. And we are all about our own self, where culture demands self-promotion as the only way to reach the pinnacle of success. You've got to kick people down and put yourself up. And believe me, listen to me, ministers, I, I, I followed that game. Wanting to be heard, wanting to be seen, wanting to perform. I'm so tired of performance. Are you hearing me? I'm sick of performance. Sick of just religious atmospheres where we come in and try to showboat. I'm talking to myself. It's time that we seek the Lord without any agenda. Without any, any trying to make something of ourselves. Lord, just show up in the midst of us. It's my heart. Just come and speak to us. Not, I don't need to be seen. I don't need to be heard. God, just come and speak to me. That's my heart. Where humility and brokenness in this generation is mocked and jeered and cast away with the morality of yesterday that built such a nation as ours. But it's cast away. Pride is the new humility. And they've taken that word pride and it's just become so grotesque. It's the new humility. Regardless of how absolutely grotesque it presents itself. Unashamed of its actions and its repercussions. And it breaks my heart. Because this generation of young people, my God, the confusion that's going on within our, our, our children, our young people of this culture, not really knowing what they're doing to their own selves, trying to follow a culture that's godless. We need to hear from the Lord again. We need a move of God again. Amen. I need to remind this nation. That pride, the word of God says in Proverbs 16, 18, that pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit comes before a fall. Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly, he said, than to divide the spoil with the proud. How incredible it is to watch a nation collapse in upon itself in absolute moral decay. I think about my boys. I've got three handsome boys and I'm watching them grow into young men and I'm trying to instill in them morality trying to instill in them the word of God because outside of it you're like a ship without a rudder tossed and beaten upon the rocks of life but it's, it's amazing to watch this nation fall in upon itself in moral decay, uttering filth and profanity as it falls, yet vehemently rejecting the only way back to peace and prosperity. And the question that pulsates on the hearts and minds of most of the concerned citizens of this, na this nation is this, and other nations and those around the world is this, what now do we do? Anybody ask that question? Where do we go? What now do we do? We see our people falling away from God. We see our, our, our culture imploding in upon itself. We see 
see pride at the, at the height or the pinnacle of, of our culture where everything is just all self-centered. And I don't know about you, but we ask ourselves this question, what do we do now? Now, where, where, do we, where do we turn? What do we do now? How do we respond to hundreds of millions of people running headlong down a pathway that, I- that ends in self-destruction? What do we do with all of this? And to answer that question, we must shift our, shift our attention off of the masses and the media and those that hold the megaphones and zero our focus upon one of the most deceitful and destructive forces of, our, of all time, and that's our own hearts. It's our own hearts. It's easy. It's so easy to just point the finger at everyone else. It's so easy to just cast our judgment at the current climate of our culture. Well, it's just our people. It's just our culture. We point the finger at this source and that source, and this is what's going on. And we look in the, in the back in history of, you know, we kind of see the trajectory where things began to change, and we can point our fingers at our government and at our social programs, but I, I don't want to do any of that. I want to point our finger at our own hearts, at our own hearts, for our cultural problems are not cultural at its root source. The very root of what's going on within our nation is not a cultural thing. It's a heart issue. It's within inside the chest of every individual in this, not just this building, but every building in this nation. When we lay our heads on our pillows at night, it's that heart issue. It starts here. The source is the heart of every individual within our constituency, starting with my own. That has a natural tendency to walk away from God. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And you don't even know it. It's deceitful. It will lie to you. And carry you away from God. Let me go into this second point here. The heart of the matter. The heart by definition. As I said at the beginning of this. Is the central most important part of something. The heart. And you know, when we talk about the heart, it's, it's kind of an elusive thing. What do, you, what do you mean? Are you talking about the flesh, the beating, this thing in here? If you do any kind of study, it's, it's the center of, of our emotions, our, our intellect, our will. It's that central part of who makes you you. It's that, that intimate part. And by definition, it's that central or, or most important part of something. The Bible says in Proverbs 21 verses 11 that the, the king's heart, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like rivers of water, he turns it with, whithersoever he wishes. He just, it, the, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And he can control nations by turning the heart of the king. And how we, we see this so true in the time that we live in. The Bible says uh, in Proverbs 29 and 2, when the righteous are in authority, what is the, the Bible says the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. It's amazing how the heart of one man can bring such a oppression upon a people. And I, I speak of uh, experience, and obviously we live in the United States of America, and I don't know how many current fans we have of our current president in the building. But I, I, will, I won't speak to that. I'll just tell you that when, when I watched uh, Barack Obama leave the White House, anybody watch it? And I watched Trump, and I'm not saying anything about it, I just want to tell you. When I watched him leave the White House, 
And I watched Trump come in. I felt almost as if a, a lift of a darkness off this nation. I felt, I, it was like I, I could sense it. And it's amazing how one person, one man, can have such a spirit of oppression over a people. But ultimately, it's the, 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 the source of it is his heart. Just go to Canada for a, a day or two. And talk to the Canadians on the street. Ask them if they like their prime minister. And how wicked and corrupt one man, Justin Trudeau. And how oppression has just settled in over the people. It's amazing how, when you really look at the heart of the matter, it's amazing how just one person in leadership can bring such an oppression upon a people. How nations are moved by the disposition and character of the heart of its leader. What's going on in our own nation is the, is the result of the heart of our leaders. Where they have lost their way. And all of us are bearing the burden of what's going on with inside of their hearts. And so I say to us tonight, we need to pray for our leaders. That God will begin to wake them up in the middle of the night. And put convictions upon them. Upon our governors. Upon our mayors of cities. Upon our police officers. Upon those that are in higher authority than than you and I. That we need to begin to pray for them. That God will begin to speak to the hearts of men. Those that are in leadership. And he would begin to turn the water courses of their hearts. Can you imagine what it would be like? If they woke up tomorrow morning and, and they had a heart for the Lord. Do you know that he can do that? He can do that. He can open their eyes in a moment. And soften the heart and hearts of men. And give them hearts of flesh. Nations are moved by the disposition and character of the heart of its leader. Let's, let's narrow our vision a little. From the national house, the white house to your house. What is the heart of the home? What makes up the heart of the house? Is it the color of the paint on your walls? Is it all the stuff you buy at Hobby Lobby? (laughs) All the nice paintings and cliches that we've got everywhere. How beautiful it is when you walk into people's homes and it's just all nice and decorated. Is that what makes up the heart of the home? Ultimately, the heart of the home is occupied by a mother and a father whose love for one another creates the atmosphere of that house. I'm so thankful for my childhood as my mother and my father. I wish they could be here tonight. You know, I would go to school and, and, and my classmates would come and I, I could tell that they were troubled and I could tell that they were broken. I could tell that they didn't have good relationships with their parents. That the home was a difficult place. And I would come to my house. And my friends would come into my home. And they would say, it's just such a difference here. Thankful for parents that loved each other. That cared for one another. Raised me and my two sisters. I've been trying to get them to come down here forever. (laughs) That love 
is a reflection. It's that, it's that warmth that when you walk into a house, you can feel it. You can feel the heart of the home is knit together with love and compassion and generosity and, and care. It's, it's, it's a deep thing. And how the children rejoice over parents that love each other and love each child in return. But woe unto the child whose parents' love has long since evaporated and our hatred fills the atmosphere. How many children in our society in our neighborhoods, are exposed to such perversion, exposed to such hatred as we are. We bred a generation of selfishness, and so now parents don't have time for their kids. Give them a device and lock them in a room, and I've got to go do what I want to do, and we are so self-centered. And children, don't think children are stupid. Children are brilliant. They know when they're loved, and they know when they're rejected. And how many children in this nation Tonight, wish that they lived in another house. Because hatred and selfishness and pride and arrogance rules. Don't you think the heart of the family is worth protecting? I think it's worth protecting. Let's narrow our focus off of the family and let's unfold the layers of character and personality. I'm just, just being transparent with you what the Lord's been dealing with me. Unfold the layers of character and personality that conceal the very life center of who you are. It's easy for us to come to this house and put on nice clothes and hope you wore deodorant. (laughs) And uh, make everybody believe that you're something. But will you for a moment just expose your heart? Expose the hidden character of your heart. The ultimate test of, re- of revealing what lays beneath the outward appearance of who we are is trouble. Pressure. I've heard a gospel preached in this nation. I'm 38 years old. And most of my adult life, I've heard a gospel that would make you believe that trouble is from Satan. That all your tri- tribulation and trial is from the devil. And we never attribute it to God trying to mold us into what he wants to make us. And we, we blame Satan for everything that go, wrong that goes on. And every good thing we give credit to the Lord. Can I ask you a question? Can God trust you with trouble? Because it's only in the trouble of our lives that it exposes the true nature of our own self. When everything is going well and everything is beautiful and, and just roses, we, we, we lie to ourselves. We think that we are something that we're not. But it's when trouble meets our door, when you, when you face difficulty, you face hardship, and you blame it on the devil. It's not the devil. God is trying to expose your own heart to yourself. How do you respond to trouble? Do you run away from it? Do you rise up with anger? What do you do when you find yourself confronted with a difficult situation that exposes your heart with incipient anger anger or, or lust or hatred or unforgiveness? What do you do with your heart when that comes to your face? 
And you see it, you see it rising up in you, unforgiveness. You see bitterness rising up in you. Do you you acknowledge it for what it is and take it out and beat it to death? And expose it before God in the light of his sovereignty and his power? Do you let God expose your own heart and say, Lord, this is in me. I see this in me. I see hatred rising up in me. I see jealousy rising up in me, Lord. I see it through this trouble or through this situation, through this argument. I see all of this rising up in me, Lord. I don't want it. Expose it before the light of God. Let God deal with it. Because if you don't, it'll take you to your grave. We've got to acknowledge that our our hearts are, are naturally disposed to go and hide ourselves. Hide our sin. Suppress it. And God said, just expose it. Expose it. Get rid of it. Deal with it. Deal with with the things within your heart. Trouble is always God's method of exposure for what, for without it, we live under our own self-analysis, never dealing with who we actually are. And we've got to be very careful because it's it's easy to believe that we are something that we are not, that we have dealt with this and it's buried and all that, but then you see it rising back up. It's important for us to all, that's why, that's why I love the word of God. I love that I can come here and I see God, I, I see these things that I need to remove in me. I see this and he begins to deal with my heart. It's, it's so important that we come to the mirror of his word and let the word of God expose the nature of who we are. And I've just grown Closer and closer to just, just the word. And I'm going to get into this. I'm, 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 I'm almost there. <laughs> what do you do with yourself when you are confronted with a difficult situation that exposes your heart? How does your heart respond? What is the response of your heart? I said this at the very beginning. How you respond to the word of God is a mirror Of what your heart really looks like. When the word of God is being preached. And and you see it for what it is. And it doesn't tickle your emotions. And it doesn't make you feel good. How you respond to that. Whatever it is in the word of God. Is an ultimate test of what your heart really looks like. And I want to look at a man for just a minute. Josiah lived in righteousness before the Lord. The Bible says that he never drifted to the right or the left. Eight years old, his father was assassinated. And I can just imagine the people that were around Josiah that cared for him and protected him and tried to, to, to raise him under that, that you know, protection of his mind. Just to, they saw corruption. There wasn't a righteous king for 75 years. Hezekiah was the last one that served the Lord. 75 years, Josiah is eight years old. And here he is, said he never drifted to the right or the left. All of his dealings were so straightforward. If you read the context of 2 Kings 22, were so straightforward that those that worked under him were not required to bring receipts. He said it was just so direct and so straightforward. They didn't have to bring receipts of where they spent the money. He trusted them. That's how his house was ordered. And I just think about this young man. He's 26 years old, king of Israel. His heart was for the Lord. His heart was to do the things of God. For 18 years, he lived righteous, righteously. For 18 years, 
in the integrity of his heart. He walked with God without the word of God. Without it, they had the temple, they had all these things. And, and I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of oral things spoken to him. And people talked about what the Lord was like. And he just had a heart, a natural disposed heart for God. He wanted the things of God. For 18 years, he lived like this. But the book of the law was missing. I can't imagine I'm just reading some commentary about the book of the law missing and, and what all that meant. Did it, was it all gone? Was it a part of the word? Was it, I couldn't really get clarity on that. But ultimately what they said, it was, it was missing. 75 years, it was buried somewhere in the catacombs of the, of the temple and nobody really cared about it. The nation was, was just wrought with the, all kinds of just problems because their kings forgot the Lord. The book of the law was missing, and through renovations, the renovations of God's house, the law was discovered. And can I say to us tonight that it's time that we rediscover the word of God? It's time for us to fall in love with the word of God again. That we focus our attention upon the eternal truths of scripture, and that we live by the word. That we live here. What is most striking to me is from this 26-year-old righteous king is his response to the hearing of the word of God being read in his presence. It's amazing to me as I was reading this and the Lord began to just pour this into me. His response, Shaphan brought the, the, the scroll, the book of the law, and he said, hey, we found this book buried in the, in the house of God. And, and he said, it's, it's, it's interesting. Begin to read it to me. And he just began to read the word of God. Are you hearing me? He began to read the word of the Lord. And the Bible says that Josiah was so moved by the reading of the word of God that he tore his garments, which was an inward, uh, an outward expression of, his, of the inward part of his heart. And it was just, just overwhelming to me as I watched this. This is just Josiah. And it was just Shaphan. There was no revival. There was no special singing to incite his emotions. There was no microphone. There was no organized choirs. It was just Josiah and Shaphan and the word of God. And that's my heart tonight, that we would come back to the simplicity of the word being enough. Just the word. The word of God is enough. I'm tired of the games. I'm tired of the show. I'm tired of just organized religion. It's time for us to come back to the word of God. If my message doesn't move you, do you cast it aside? So many years of my life, you know, I'm given to much wind and words. And so long I tried to impress people with how I articulate, how I present. And believe me, I don't want to be a boring preacher, okay? I, but I've become so tired of the show. So tired of the production, Pastor Lee. So tired of trying to impress pastors. That they might open their church to me. I'm tired of all of that. I just want to be like Josiah. And Shaphan. 
just read it to me. Let's just sit on the floor and you just read it to me. Let's just order our lives by the word. Let's restructure our existence by the word of God. Let's let the word of God order our lives. And just the word. Would to God this generation's response be a mirror of Josiah? And upon the hearing of the word, the tearing of our garments be the, the reflection of how broken our hearts are over our own sin. Let me tell you something. If that happened, you know, we, we, we go, uh, when you're a preacher, and I'm talking to preachers here, some of you, you know, you go from conference to conference to conference to conference to conference to conference to conference. And we're just looking for another movement, right? Looking for another wave, another experience, another. And, and it just gets so redundant and repetitive. And ultimately what we're looking for is, is something beyond. All we need to do is just come back to the Lord and, and rend our hearts. That's all we have to do is. And I, I can just imagine if this generation would just fall on our faces like Josiah. If we in this building, forget pointing our fingers at this culture. If we in this building would just come before the Lord like Josiah and rend our hearts and not our garments. And say, God, move in me. God, change my heart. Change the nature of who I am. Make me like Jesus. Make me like your son. Take away this lust out of me. Take away this anger. Take this out of me. Make me like you. I promise you that we wouldn't have to look for a revival. We don't, wouldn't have to look for another meeting to, to, to feel something. I promise you the Lord would be there every single time. God's assessment of Josiah, his heart is, is worth reading. I want to read this. 2 Kings chapter 22. Verses uh, number 19. He, he goes through all of this and he hears the word of God read. And, and, and ultimately it was destruction coming upon Israel and, and, you know, all of that. And so he, he inquires of the Lord. What, what can I do here? You know, what's going to happen? And, and you can read it later. But in verses 19, in verses 18, but to the king of Judah, which sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus shall the Lord, thus say the Lord God of Israel as touching the words which thou hast heard because your heart was tender. And you humbled yourself before the Lord. And when you heard what I spoke against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, he said, and because you've rent your clothes, because you've wept before me, I also have heard you. I heard you. What does this tell me? That humility and brokenness is the language of heaven. You want to move the heart of God? Be broken before Him. Young people, you want an experience with the Lord? Just break yourself before Him. Be honest with Him. He sees everything. He's not, there's nothing hidden from Him that He does not see. Just expose yourself. Come before Him and say, Lord, Who am I? I'm not going to be a fool to try to hide what I am. You know what I am. And here I am. This is me in all of my pieces. 
And that is impressive to God. That gets the attention of heaven. Tenderness and humility are a true reflection of the heart of God. And it's my prayer tonight that God would make us tender. That God would make us humble. That we would be broken before the Lord and that the world outside of these walls of this building would see such a brokenness in us. When religious people, because religious people are mean. Tell me how I know. Ask me. When religious people cast stones at the broken of this generation, may the broken of this generation be moved by our compassion for them. May they see a difference, the humility and the brokenness that is within us. God, make us tender. God, make us humble. May we not allow the cares of this life to cause our hearts to become hard. And I move to my last point, guard your heart. Look at your neighbor and tell him, guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says this, keep your heart. It's a possessive pronoun, your, keep your, what? Who is supposed to keep our hearts? Who? Your pastor, your wife. It is your responsibility to keep your heart. If your life is a wreck, you can't blame anybody else. It is the doorkeeping of what we allow with inside of our hearts that ultimately end up being who we are. If we don't guard our hearts and we allow all kinds of things in, you cannot blame somebody else for the issues of life. It is us that are, are commanded to guard or keep our heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The Hebrew word for keep is star, which means to protect, maintain, and guard. Protect, maintain, and guard your hearts. Out of it flow all of life. Out of this thing that we, we've been talking about all night flows the issues of life. So we need to make sure we guard it and protect it at all costs. To protect it like what? Like a fortified city. Guard your heart like a city with walls around it and gates around it. And put men at the gates and guard your hearts. Because there's all kinds of things that want to come into your heart like a Trojan horse. And destroy you from the inside. So guard your heart like a fortified city. What's watching your gates, the gates of your heart? Young people, what are you watching? What are you listening to? What stuff are you allowing your eyes to feast upon? Don't think that it won't affect you. It will completely transform your life. It will destroy you from the inside. He said, guard it. Guard your heart and don't believe your heart. Your heart will tell you it's okay. It's, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Your heart will lie to you. Protect it like a fortified city with guards at each gate, carefully watching everything that enters, allowing no parasite to pass or Trojan horse to maintain your heart. What do you mean maintain? Anybody ever, ever grow a garden, Noah? Anybody, anybody ever grow a garden? I'm not a green thumb. I kill everything I try to grow. (laughs) 
But any good gardener understands the, the principle of how important it is to keep other stuff out of the, out of the, the garden bed. Right? If you just allow anything to grow, it'll kill everything you're trying to grow. He said, maintain your hearts. Look at your neighbor and tell them, maintain it. Not only do you have to guard it, you have to maintain it. You have to make sure that no weeds begin to grow up. Because if you allow weeds to grow in it, it'll begin to choke the very life of God from you. And it's, uh, I, can, I don't have enough time. So, so many weeds that we can allow to grow. Bitterness, envy, lusts, whatever it is. You can allow it to grow in your heart and choke the very life of God out from you. So maintain your heart. Maintain it. Don't let any weeds grow. I, I want to close tonight with a, a tragic story of a man whose heart was once tender. But he left his heart unguarded and his garden unkept, bringing destruction to his own heart. Go with me to First Samuel, Samuel 24. And I want us to look at David, and, and I, I love what Pastor Lee said last night, because God, truly David was a man after God's own heart. And the beautiful thing about David is that he, even in times of rebellion, eventually he came back to the Lord. But I want you to see a young David, a young David, First Samuel 24, and it came to pass when Saul was returning from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi, and Saul took 3,000, can you imagine being hunted by 3,000 men? What kind of threat was David to Saul? 3,000 men chosen out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheep goats, by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to cover his feet, basically to relieve himself. And David and his men remained hidden or remained in the sides of the cave. And, and it's interesting. Verses four, it says, and the men of David said unto him, behold, the day of which the Lord said unto you, do you know that the Lord never said this to David? Never. It's not written. Behold, the day, of which, of the, the day of which the Lord said unto you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it seems good to you. It's amazing when be, people begin to speak to the Lord uh, to you. This is what the Lord says to you. Take his life. So then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately. We all know this story. But what I'm interested here is, is the response of David in this moment. How tender he was before the Lord. How tender his heart was before God. And as soon as he took the knife, you talk about a man of God. And all these men around him, take his life, take his life. God said you could kill him. Really? I don't remember where that was written. And he took his knife. The Bible says that David rose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily, and it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him. His heart rose up with inside of him and smote him in the chest and said, you know, you're not supposed to touch the Lord's anointed. And his heart was so tender before God 
that immediately, I want you to see this, immediately, the Bible says that he said unto his men, verses number six, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master. How tender he was before God. The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth my hand against him. Seeing he's the Lord's anointed, or the anointed of the Lord, he confesses his sin publicly, openly before his men. I shouldn't have done this thing. This is not what the Lord would have. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered not to rise against Saul. But, he, but Saul rose out of the cave and went on his way. And David also rose afterward, came out of the cave. We know the story. And he cried out to him. Can you imagine the heart of this man? He so walked with the Lord. He was so tender before the Lord. And every time his heart smote him, there was an immediate response, immediate repentance of his own sin. His heart and its tender humility smote him. If you read Psalms 27, it's a product of this moment. It's beautiful. As you read through Psalms 27, musicians, if you'd return. Something happened to David. You know, I, I think about David as he was just a young man. Out there in the middle of that field, tending sheep and just getting to know the Lord. Tender with him. He wrote so many songs. Tender with him. But something happened to David. And I will tell you tonight that it's. We are all. The longer we walk with God. It's easy to grow cold on him. It's easy to get used to the environment and used to the presence I want us to turn to 2 Samuel 11. When David was in the cave, he was probably in his mid-twenties. But now 2 Samuel 11, he's probably in his mid-fifties. He's been king for a long time now. And the Bible says in 2 Samuel 11, and it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when the kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And I wish to God, Pastor Lee kept reading, and it said, and David's heart smote him. And he left, and he went. Because it was the time for kings to go to war. It wasn't time for kings to stay home. And I wish to God it said his heart smote him. But it doesn't say that. And it came to pass at evening tide. David arose from off his bed. What in the world was King David doing laying on his bed all day long while his men were fighting his wars? He walked upon the roof of the king's house and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon and would to God. The next verse said that his heart smote him. 
he ran back into his room and he fell before the Lord. And he repented of his lust. But it doesn't say that. And David sent and inquired after the woman and one said, is this not Bathsheba? The daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, and would to God the verse said then David's heart smote him because not only did he lust after another woman he lusted after another man's wife and he ran in and he fell before the Lord and he said God forgive me do you see how you can be tender before God and let the cares of this life and the arrogance of our own flesh blind us from our own hearts. And David sent messengers and took her and she came in unto him and he lay with her and she was purified from her uncleanliness and she returned unto her house and would to God his heart smote him. And we go through the narrative of this treacherous story and it makes me weep every time I read it. Because it's just a reflection of our own hearts. We love to compare ourselves to the high points of the men in the Word of God. We like to kill our giants. We like to climb mountains. But we don't like to admit that we have the same heart as David, that we deal with the same stuff. Stand with me, please. And if we are not careful, we can allow what was once tender, what was once broken, so tender before God, so broken, so sensitive, cut the skirt in his heart motive to become so hard and full of pride and arrogance that you would plot not only to take another man's wife but to kill the man and I read this afternoon where Bathsheba when she heard that Uriah was dead that she mourned for her husband like David not see the writing on the wall because he didn't guard his heart and so tonight I I just want us to respond like Josiah And as I was closing this, as I was just reading this afternoon, praying over this word because I knew it was heavy, the Lord led me to Joel chapter 2, verses 13. He says, 
said, verses 12, Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even unto me with all your heart, with fasting and with weeping and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of evil. What is he saying? Quit the show. Quit the theatrics. The outward part of who we are, it's easy to put on. It's the inward part that we hide. He said, rip it open. Just expose your heart bare before the Lord. Can we do that? Would you just gather around this altar as they worship? Let's just respond to him. In the name of Jesus. Jesus.